The scripture for today's sermon comes from Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 16. The word of God speaks to us. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is God's word to us. Amen. Thank you, CJ. Well, good morning. If you don't know me already, my name is Ryan Geekus. And uh, I have the privilege of serving here at Frontline as the worship director, and I have the honor of opening God's Word with you today. Um, If you've been with us over the last couple weeks, you will know that we've started um, a new series called Rhythms of Grace, where we're looking at ancient practices which we, as the people of God, have built into our lives in order um, to more deeply abide in Jesus and to grow in spiritual depth and maturity. Last Sunday, um, Steve Curry... Um, led us in talking about the rhythm of prayer and how it cultivates a life of meaningful relationship with God. This week, we're going to talk about a rhythm of grace that honestly is not often mentioned in our list of spiritual practices that we ought to keep, and that is the spiritual discipline of church membership, of belonging to a local body of Christ. And so even as I mention that, I know that there's lots of stories in this room. It may cause you to ask questions like, is this really a spiritual discipline or what does this have to do with my personal spiritual vitality? And the reason for this is that our relationship with the church is complicated, like any meaningful relationship. My wife is silently saying, amen, that's right. (laughs) It's complicated. There's a lot of stories in this room. A lot of us have come from different backgrounds. Um, We've had different childhoods, past experiences, and even recent experiences um, that can impact the way that we relate to the church. And so this coming Wednesday, um, the members of Frontline will gather once again for our annual membership meeting, and we'll begin um, what we call covenant renewal. It's It's the time of the year when we come back and we recommit to one another, and we lock arms and hearts together as a local church. And you may wonder, why do we do this? Why do we revisit this year after year? Um, For all I know, I'm still a member at First Baptist Church in Pampa, Texas. (laughs) 
I don't know if they've taken me off or not. Um, but the, the simple answer to that is that it really matters to us. Church membership to us and belonging to a local body is not just about updating our database or being able to brag about big numbers in our church. Um, it's, it's about having deep and lasting relationships within the local church, the local body of Christ. And um, it's a meaningful thing, as we see as we open up Scripture, that is crucial to our spiritual vitality in life together here on earth. And so I want to ask you uh, to pray for me, and I will pray for you as we open up God's Word. Father, thank you for this day. We thank you, God, for the, the blood flowing through our veins, the breath that is in our lungs. It is all a miraculous gift from you. We thank you for the baptisms that we got to witness today. The reality that you are alive and that you're moving, that you're changing lives, that you're opening eyes to behold um, your goodness and your grace. We pray that you would do that once again for us, even now as we open up your word, that you would speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. So before we look at what scripture shows us about what it means to be a member of a local church, I want to um, it proposed to us three primary or common ways that we in this room um, may even approach church in our cultural moment. The first one is the idea of cultural Christianity. So if you grew up in Oklahoma or anywhere in the South or what we call the Bible Belt in this region, there's a high probability that you grew up in a culture where church is just what you do. Um, if you didn't, if you didn't grow up around here and somehow you ended up here, I'm about to do you a favor and help you interpret this odd world that you've landed in. Um, but it's a faith and a way of life that for many was inherited from our parents or grandparents. We have scripture on the walls, on our refrigerator. We attend church periodically maybe. But it doesn't necessarily have a great bearing on our life. It may or may not. And so cultural Christianity is just some of the waters that we swim in here in Oklahoma. The second one is consumerism. C.S. Lewis wrote a great little book called The Screwtape Letters, and many of you have probably read it. The book consists of 31 letters written by a senior demon named Screwtape to his nephew, Wormwood. This is a fiction story. Um, a younger and less experienced demon. But he writes to his nephew, giving him strategies for how to disrupt the spiritual lives of Christians and to thwart the enemy, which for him is God. And so the following is a quote from one of those letters regarding church. He says, surely you know that if a man can't be cured of church going, the next best thing is to send him all over the neighborhood looking for the church that suits him until he, is, until he becomes a taster or connoisseur of churches. The search for a suitable church makes the man a critic, where the enemy, God, wants him to be a pupil. It's not lost on any of us um, that there are many churches in our city, and in many ways that is a massive blessing to our community. But it can also appeal to our inner consumer that is fostered and encouraged by our culture. So it's not uncommon to hear things like, they have good worship which we hear a lot around here. <laughs> or, the preaching isn't so great over there, which you may say today. 
And I like the student ministry at this church, etc. You get the idea. None of these are bad things to evaluate, um, especially through a faithful biblical lens. But it's also not uncommon for some to go to church at one, go to church on Sunday at one church to be in a community group with another one or go to a student ministry at another church. And here's the thing. I realize that there are often um, out-of-the-ordinary circumstances that may lead to that kind of scenario, and I'm not addressing that today. What I am speaking to is the tendency for, um, a ch- for us to search for a church like we would search for a good restaurant. I'm reminded of a quote from Paul Miller about searching for community, and he says, the biggest problem Christians have in searching for community is just that. You don't find community. You create it through love. Number three, credibility. Increasingly, we're experiencing concern about the credibility and integrity of the church, and I have no doubt that some here today share that concern. It's not hard to understand why. We've seen and heard all of the headlines and documentaries about failed church leadership. And some of us have even experienced it firsthand. And so without diverging too deep into my own story, I want to share with you too that I have every reason to reject deep and meaningful relationship and membership in a local church. And while I've experienced deep pain as a result of immature leadership and experiences in the church... I have, to a greater degree, and I want you to hear this, also experienced healing, restoration, and fruit in my life because of being tethered to the leadership and membership of a local church. On a personal level, Frontline Church continues to be a place that healing is being compounded by godly leaders, brothers, and sisters in Christ. If you don't connect with that when it comes to credibility. It may be that you have cause for concern about the church's credibility as you look through the lens of history. You find that the church is responsible for too much pain in the world. Listen to another quote from Gerald Sitzer in his book, Love One Another. He says, when the church is functioning at its best, there is simply no community on earth that can rival it. But when the church is functioning at its worst, there is no community on earth that can do as much damage. History itself proves the point. The church has served untold millions, as is evidenced by the number of churches, hospitals, orphanages, schools, and relief agencies that Christians have founded and operated. But the church has brutalized untold millions, as the medieval inquisition and the religious wars of the 7th century also demonstrate. Friends, all of this is true. And my prayer upon hearing these things like this is um, that it would cause us to actually double down on our commitment to one another in order to preserve and pursue the unrivaled eternal good that we are called to do in our city as the body of Christ, not run from it. The answer is that we would actually commit more to one another to ensure that this good is done in our city. So, how should we relate to the church? Is it worth it? Should we give up or settle for a complacent relationship with her? Is it possible to have a thriving relationship with uh, Jesus without the church? And how is church membership a rhythm of grace? And so as we seek to answer these four questions, um, I want us to look at, or uh, these questions, I want us to look at four different things um, this morning. 
Number one, church membership is countercultural. And so what I mean by this is that it goes against the grain of culture. We swim in cultural waters that place extreme value on the ideas of autonomy and freedom. If you're working through the counterformation materials in your community group, um, this will all sound really familiar. And words like accountability, commitment, authority, and dependence are like oil in those waters, in the waters of our culture. Um, they almost feel like cuss words. They don't mix, and we avoid anything we encounter that we feel will restrict us in any way or challenge our autonomy. The problem for Christians is that Scripture speaks very differently about what our, our culture values most. Listen again to Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 6, and pay attention to the language that Paul uses. He says, I, therefore a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Paul's urging, urging, if you hear it in this, is not towards individualism and personal autonomy, but it's toward one another. He not only describes himself as a prisoner of the Lord, but calls us to relate to one another in such a way that requires loving sacrifice, humility, and the eagerness to maintain unity. If we are truly in Christ, we are no longer autonomous, disconnected individuals. Did you notice how many times it said one in the text? Our lives are no longer our own. We belong to Jesus, and the way we live is bound to one another in the body of Christ. We have an external calling on our lives to treat each other with humility, gentleness, peace, Impatience, to bear one another's burdens, to eagerly maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And we can't experience true flourishing on our own, contrary to what we might believe. Now we are in need of each other for spiritual vitality, growth, and health. So it's not hard to begin to see that this is a countercultural way of living in contrast to the world around us. And so the question for us today is, does my life more closely reflect the call of culture toward autonomy or the call of Jesus toward humble dependence on him in the body of Christ? In Jesus, you have a new identity. And part of that identity is that you're a member, you're a joint, a ligament, as Scripture describes, of the body of Christ. Not just for your sake, but for the sake of of those around you. So why does this matter so much? Why is it so important to be tethered to the church, not just spiritually, but functionally and practically? The second thing we see about church membership is that church membership is rooted locally. There are two ways that we typically talk about the church, and that would be universal and local. So when we talk about the universal church, these are the people of faith that have gone before us and will come after us, with whom we'll spend millions and millions of years with in God's presence. There's our brothers and sisters down the road at Bridgeway and Henderson Hills 
And on the other side of the globe in Mumbai, India, at Cornerstone Church, is also our brothers and sisters that we will never meet this side of eternity. It's the Apostle Paul who we just heard from. It's the thousands who came to faith in the book of Acts. It's a beautiful and wonderful thing to consider. It's mysterious. It's invisible. And the reality is that we are not alone and are members of a global body that is unified in Jesus. It's a very real thing. There's also the local church. When we talk about the local church, these are the people in this particular place, at this particular time, that God in his abundant grace has gifted us to bind ourselves to so that we might have help in this brief mist, as James describes it in in James 4, called life. So take Ephesians 4, for example, and look at the ways we're exhorted by Paul to relate to one another as a unified body. Verses 2 through 3 say this, With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. So these are all things displayed in the character of Christ, and we're exhorted to relate to one another in the same way. Notice we are also called to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. This is not a unity that is manufactured by us, but it's a unity that is established in Jesus. And so our calling as the body of Christ is to maintain that unity. And the only way that that can happen is by real, tangible, local relationship. It is not hard for me to be patient with my brothers and sisters in Mumbai. They can't do anything to offend me on a daily basis like you all can. (laughs) We can't bear one another in love if there's nothing to bear. These things happen in a local and not a global context. There are 59 one another texts in Scripture. He's going to put these up on the screen. That's 20 of them. I want you to read some of those. What makes the church more than just something we go to and instead a means of grace in our life are the stories and the real-life examples that embody what it means to live out these one another commands. That's what creates meaning in the life of the church. Carry each other's burdens. Forgive whatever grievances you may have. Admonish one another. Greet one another with a holy kiss, which we're going to do later. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. As I was reading through these one another commands um, and looking at it in contrast to our desire for freedom and autonomy, I was reminded of a quote from Walter Brueggemann. He's an Old Testament scholar and a theologian, um, and he speaks to the difference between space and place. And that could sound real ethereal. But I want to start just by kind of giving a picture of um, what I was reminded of this week. I was looking through pictures um, that I had on my computer from five years ago or so, because the computer reminded me to look back at these pictures. And I was looking at our house, which we live in now, and the backyard looks totally different. We've, we've put in gardens, 
and we have lots of chickens now, which you guys have heard about. Um, we've done lots of things in the yard. And then I was going through other pictures, and there was a, there was a video of my daughter um, when she was one, one year old, and she was putting her head, face in my belly, and, um, and just, you know, doing this. And then she'd come up and laugh. We'd all, ah, ha, ha. And then the boys would be like, do it to me. Um, <laughs> now they're getting older, and they're getting annoyed with her because she gets what she wants. And so they're like, yeah, she was cute then. Um, but the reality is, our, our, this, this, this place that used to be just this open space, it was fresh and new. It didn't have all the experiences of our home. Um, we've buried our dog there. We've shared meals together. We've forgiven one another. We've even fought with one another. Listen to this quote from Walter Brueggemann. Space means an arena of freedom without coercion or accountability, free of pressures and void of authority. Space may be imaged as weekend, holiday, avocation, and is characterized by a kind of neutrality or emptiness waiting to be filled by our choosing. But place is space, space which has historical meanings, where some things have happened which are now remembered and which provide continuity and identity across generations. Place is a space in which important words have been spoken, which have established identity, defined vocation, and envisioned destiny. Place is a space in which vows have been exchanged, promises have been made, and demands have been issued. Place is indeed a protest against the unpromising pursuit of space. It is a declaration that our humanness cannot be found in escape, detachment, absence of commitment, and undefined freedom. This is a picture of what it looks like to create meaningful community in a local church fueled by the many, as we just saw on the screen, one another commands in Scripture. Let's look now at Ephesians 4, verses 4 through 6, where Paul goes on to describe our unity. There is one body and one spirit. And just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. And so this is we, we're one spirit. That we're unified as the body of Christ and are enlivened to our eternal life through one Holy Spirit. We have one hope. So we no longer just have a bunch of individual hopes, but we have one eternal and ultimate hope in Jesus. We have one Lord in Jesus Christ. We aren't a bunch of little lords ruling our own kingdoms, but we live under the rule and the authority of Jesus. We are united in our confession of one faith in Jesus, one baptism. One of the beautiful things about baptism, which we experienced here this morning, is that we are not only raised to life in Jesus individually, but we are raised out of the waters into a spiritual family. We felt that this morning. It's why we express our commitment to those being baptized as the body of Christ, to pray for them, to walk with them, and to support them. It would be a tragedy to be raised from those waters if those women were raised from those waters today to find out that they were alone. And that this new family you thought you had was just an invisible global community. It'd be like saying, good luck 
You're on your own. To be a member of the church is to belong to a local church. Number three, church membership is formational. So Paul then shifts from describing our unity in the church to the spiritual gifts given for the edification of the church. Verses 7 through 8. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers all gifts. Why did he give them? To equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We were given the gifts of spiritual leadership in the church to equip the saints for the work of ministry and to build up the body of Christ. Verses 15 and 16. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. God, in his wisdom and grace, has given us the church, the body of Christ, as the primary vehicle for our unity of faith, our increased knowledge of Jesus, and our growth and maturity to the fullness of Christ in this life. This is why church membership is a spiritual discipline. It's why we're calling it a rhythm of grace in this series that we are urged not to neglect. Life in the local church is crucial to our spiritual vitality and to the spiritual vitality of those we are connected with. So if we are Christians, we have been raised from death to life, and we are In Christ, seated with him in heavenly places. All of this is true. And you are brought into a body of believers. So we can't have thriving, flourishing relationships with Jesus and be amputated from the body of Christ. In order to truly experience spiritual formation, maturity, and depth as a Christian, we need other followers of Jesus embedded in our lives. And so this happens as we've said, in a specific place with specific people at a specific time in history. One other thing I want to mention under this, um, honestly with great sobriety, is that none of us, none of us, including myself, are above shipwrecking our lives. None of us are above shipwrecking our marriages and our relationships. And quite honestly, if we think otherwise, then we are probably in the most danger of actually doing it. Friends, being bound to the local body of believers is one of the wonderful means of grace that God uses to keep us alive in the faith. And when we engage our lives in the real context of community, we aren't allowed to see ourselves through rose-colored lenses that we create for ourselves as more mature, as more patient, as more loving and more generous, generous than we really are. In biblical community, the real you, the real me, is unveiled and is confronted in love as we grow and mature together over time. It's a gift of grace in our lives. Ronald Rollheiser says it like this. What church community takes away from us is our false freedom to soar unencumbered, 
like the birds, believing that we are mature, loving, committed, and not blocking out things that we should be seeing. Real church going, soon enough, shatters this illusion and gives us no escape as we find ourselves constantly humbled as our immaturities and lack of sensitivity to the pain of others are reflected off eyes that are honest and unblinking. So the truth is, and what we see here, is that our spiritual flourishing looks more like a soaring kite tethered to the body of Christ than it does a bird flying where it wills. A kite that's not tethered is just going to fly about and it's going to lose its way. Number four, church membership is covenantal. One of the wonderful things about Paul's words in Ephesians is that he points us to multiple ways by which our relationship with Jesus has implications for the way we relate to one another. Later in Ephesians 5, Paul uses the metaphor of the church being the bride of Christ. And we know that marriage is a relationship bound by covenant. And so throughout the New Testament, covenantal language and reality surround what it means to be the body of Christ. Ronald Rollheiser once again says, Church involvement, when understood properly, does not leave us the option to walk away whenever something happens that we don't like. It's a covenant commitment like a marriage and binds us for better and for worse. Some of you may be familiar with the story in the Greek myth, The Odyssey by Homer. Um, In the story, Odysseus, or you may be more familiar with him as Ulysses, which is the Latinized version, is embarking on his home, his journey home after the Trojan War. And he's warned about the sirens that he'll encounter. Sirens were creatures who were actually monsters disguised as beautiful women with beautiful voices. This too is fiction, by the way. They would sing to the sailors as they passed by only to kill them once succumbed to their irresistible song. In order to avoid the deathly lure of the songs, Odysseus was advised to plug wax in the ears of his sailors. And he does that, but he chooses not to put the wax in his own ears, but to have his sailors bind him to the mast of the ship so that he could hear them, but not be allowed to indulge his desires unto his death. So listen to this excerpt from the Odyssey. It says, Then Odysseus heard the magical song of the sirens as they floated over the summertime waters. And this is the song of the sirens. Odysseus, bravest of heroes, draw near to us on our green island. Odysseus, we'll teach you wisdom. We'll give you love sweeter than honey. The songs we sing soothe away sorrow, and in our arms you will be happy. Odysseus, bravest of heroes, the songs we sing will bring you peace. That song should sound really familiar to us. It goes on to say, the song enchanted the heart of Odysseus. He longed to plunge into the waves, swim to the island, and embrace the sirens. He strained against his bonds till they cut deep into his flesh, To the flesh of his arms and his back, he nodded and scowled at his ear-plugged men, urging them to free him. But they did not. They only pulled more and more strongly on the oars. To covenant with one another in a local church is like tying ourselves to the mast of the body of Christ as we make our way through the waters of life 
and resist the tempting voices of our culture that promise a better way. With Jesus as our head, we are binding ourselves to a particular people at a a specific place and time in history. We are bound to one another for our good so that one day, the one hope that we talked about earlier, we we share will be an eternal reality when Jesus returns and makes all things new. This is the hope that we share together, and the mean, one of the means of grace that God has given us is the body of Christ to help us reach that, that, that great day. And so we're being invited to resist the cultural pressures of being isolated and autonomous, and instead embrace our identity as the body of Christ, brought into Christ and his church to be loved, to be formed, matured, and sent back to the world to offer God's presence presence, which it so desperately needs. Can you imagine what it would be like if we all embraced this invitation? If this church embraced the one another's that we saw in scripture, what could be accomplished in us and the lives of our families and our friends? What could be accomplished in our city and for the kingdom of God? This is what we are invited to as members of the body of Christ. So where do we go from here? Very quickly, If you're a follower of Jesus, don't just fill out a form with updated information for a database. Renew your covenant and commitment to the local church according to the things we talked about today. Number two, I want to invite you to start seeing church membership as an actual spiritual practice, as a a rhythm of grace in your life that can form you into a mature follower of Jesus. If you aren't a follower of Jesus, our invitation to you is, is to jump into life with us here at Frontline. We, we, we'll have people up here at the front of the service that would love to talk to you. We have community groups that meet throughout the week. There are plenty of people who would love to grab coffee with you, including myself. And I'm confident that as you jump into relationship here in life at Frontline, that you'll encounter and experience the tangible presence of God through his church. I want to invite you to stand and pray with me.